you have nothing to do but save souls. That was what John Wesley impressed upon the group of pastors who had gathered to hear him preach. Therefore, he continued, spend and be spent in this work, and go always not only to those that want you, but to those that want you most. It is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance, and with all your power to build them up in that holiness with, without which they cannot see the Lord. Now, what John Wesley was trying to do was to provoke pastors to the conviction that their ministry was primarily about saving souls. But that does not mean that you get a free pass. That doesn't mean that you get let off the hook either. As we return this morning to our Luke sermon series, Jesus will introduce us to his ministry model for saving souls. And so we are entitling today's message, You Have Your Work Cut Out For You. We are in Luke chapter 10, and I will read as you follow verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, that is in addition to his 12 disciples, 72 others, and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he has just taught them and called them and sent them out. And I want to say to us, first of all, that Jesus has called us all to be co-laborers. Jesus has called us all to be co-laborers. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
Now, clearly, Jesus never intended the church's mission to be limited to a select few. Not to the 12 disciples, not to a ministry team, nor to a pastoral staff. He called 72 other disciples and he sent them into the mission field two by two. Now that is unlike the consumeristic ministry model that is prevalent in many churches today. According to this model, the consumeristic model, the church hires a pastoral staff to do ministry so that the rank-and-file attendees won't be inconvenienced by having to do it themselves. This model allows everyone else to have a free pass to watch and enjoy what the paid staff do. Now, that is the wrong model for doing ministry. That model will lead to burnout because there's just no way under the sun that all of the work of the church can be done by a ministry staff. That model will lead to stagnation because rather than using your gift to boost the church's ministry, you sit on it while watching others do what you might be doing. I'm told that during an interview, when asked about how much the college football um, in the United States was contributing to the national fitness, um, physical fitness, a football coach replied very candidly, nothing. Football program does not contribute anything to our national physical fitness. Why not, the interviewer asked him. Well, the way I see it, the coach replied, you have 22 men down on the field desperately needing a rest and 40,000 people in the stands desperately needing more exercise. <laughs> so my question to you this morning is, how much are you contributing to your church's ministry fitness? Are you on the field working, or are you in the stands sitting? Now, the biblical ministry model is one in which a pastor shepherd models for the church what ministry is like while equipping the sheep to duplicate ministry, to repeat it, so that growth happens in the church. But the last time I checked, shepherds can't produce sheep. Sheep must reproduce sheep and bring them to the shepherd so that he can care for them and teach them how to go and reproduce sheep of their own. Now, in a letter to the church, Paul shows us a ministry model in which Jesus strategically places in the church leaders with different gifts or skill sets. I'm sure that as you look at our church, you'd recognize that that is true. We have all kinds of skill sets in our church. God has strategically placed these different skill sets in our church. And so these leaders equip the congregation 
to use their gifts and skill sets so that the church's mission is carried out, so that the church is built up into Christ as its head, so that our love connection with one another is increased. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul writes to the church or says to the church. And he, meaning Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, do you see there? The shepherd's only responsibility is to equip. But the sheep's responsibility is to make sure that they are doing the work of the church. And so Jesus, as we come back to our text in Luke, Jesus sent these 72 disciples into every town to preach forgiveness of sins and to preach the hope of eternal life. That was their message. They were to preach that God alone could forgive sins and that God could offer eternal life. But notice with me that Jesus did not send these 72 disciples into the world one by one. That was too risky. He sent them two by two because a co-laborer can be an extra pair of eyes, shoulders, hands, feet, ears. Co-laborers can pray together and support each other. Co-laborers can be vulnerable together about their weaknesses and their brokenness. Co-laborers can provide accountability for one another. Co-laborers can handle rejection better than one can. And they certainly can handle, uh, they can celebrate successes better than one person can. And so Jesus has called us to be co-laborers, to be working together. Here's my second question to you this morning. Are you a co-laborer to somebody? And the third one is related. And who is your co-laborer? Here's my second point this morning. We tend to forget just how urgent the harvest is. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now here we find Jesus equating our church's mission with a familiar agricultural practice. If anybody should understand the church's mission, I believe that we here in Greenfield should. Because we are a farming community, aren't we? I heard some people say, mm-hmm. <laughs> we are a farming community. Uh, we know what it is to plant in the spring and to harvest in the summer or fall. We drive by the large corn fields and soybean fields. We see the rush of combines working day and night to get the crop in before the frost and the cold, and the rain hit. We understand the 
urgency of the harvest. However, we seem not to get the urgency of the harvest that Jesus is talking about here in this passage. Now, John Starnes, he's dead now, was a great singer, gospel singer. Now, he put these words into a song many years ago, words of which go like this. As we look all around us, we see all the fields are white. They are ripened unto harvest, yet so quickly comes the night. Christians, you must get busy. Oh, there is so much work to do. Here's an urgent task awaiting you. And the refrain goes like this. Souls are crying. Men are dying. Won't you lead them to the cross? Go and find them. Oh, please help to win them. Win the lost at any cost. The second verse um, appeals to us who are Christians and who have families. It says this, check your falls, my Christian brothers, and see if all your children are in. Are there yet some strayed lost in the blackened fields of sin? You must go out and reach them. Go quickly without delay. Soon the trump of God will close the day. Souls are crying. Men are dying. Won't you lead them to the cross? Go and find them. Oh, please help to win them. Win the lost at any cost. Now, did you catch the huge problem and concern that Jesus has in our text? It is this. The harvest is ripe. And it is urgent with souls that are crying and men, women, and children who are dying. But there are too few laborers to bring the harvest in. That is his dilemma. That is his concern. Now, I know farmers who, when they notice that the corn or soybean harvest is ready, they will skip everything, including church, to jump on a combine and hasten to get the harvest in. Now, why aren't we treating saving souls with the same urgency? Why aren't we? Now, we make excuses like, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at saving souls. Well, then, are you willing to be equipped or taught or trained in how to save souls? Some say, well, that's the pastor's job. Really? Others say, I can't be bothered with saving souls. I, I have too much going on right now, but, but you have no problem signing up to take on extra responsibilities. Busyness, self-absorption, and distraction, they will keep you from noticing the fields that have ripened and waiting on people just like you to save them. Now, if you are too busy and too self-absorbed and too distracted to notice the ripened harvest fields, you're, you're saying to the Lord, you're saying to the Lord of the harvest, Lord, I don't care about what you care about, what you care about most, which, in fact, is the saving of souls. Point number three, 
Nothing short of our earnest prayer will save souls. Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus couldn't be any clearer here that the church's mission is to save souls, but that the saving of souls will not be accomplished without prayer. Now, since there is a ripened harvest field of 40,000 people in Greenfield, and since this ripened harvest field is ready for reaping, but only a few persons are prepared and willing to gather them in, Jesus is commanding those of us who have already been saved from the harvest fields of sin to not only pray, mark you, which is important, to not only pray, but to pray earnestly. That word means with intensity. Intercede, asking the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers out into his harvest. It is his harvest. He wants this harvest to be reaped. But God, note, notice carefully, God is the only one who will soften hearts to make them willing to join the harvest. God is the only one who will send laborers out into his harvest field. You see, the last time I checked, shaming people and guilting them and coercing them to go out, that doesn't work. And believe me, I have tried some of that in my own preaching. Let me just be, let me just be candid with you. But that does not work. It does not, I don't care how much you try to guilt people, trick people, or coerce people, that does not work. God is the one who sends out laborers in response to our earnest prayers. Here's what Jesus says. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So there are two responsibilities that you and I have. One is to pray earnestly, asking God to send laborers out into his harvest. And the other one is this, to be open to the possibility that he may send us out. Can I say that again? So as we are praying that the Lord will raise up people and send them out into the harvest field, that is our first responsibility. The second one is this, that as we are praying, we need to be open to the real possibility that Jesus might be sending us. Sending us. I'm sure you recognize that churches these days are resorting to marketing and public relations strategies to reach people. Jesus couldn't be clearer that God has lordship over the saving of souls. It is his harvest. Jesus never intended for the gospel to be a consumer-oriented or market-driven product. He intended for it to be a prayer-driven product. And so if God is the one who is going to soften up hearts and make them responsive to the gospel, then no church, including our own, 
cannot afford to have a regular intercessory prayer meeting. Pastors and people must come together to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, to send us numerical increase, to save souls, to raise up people who are willing to disciple those that he sends to us, to lead our church into new territory for kingdom expansion. We have that collective responsibility. Now, Sidlow Baxter once said, I quote him, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, and despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Here's a fourth and final point this morning. The difficulty of our mission need not be a deterrent. In other words, uh, just because it is difficult doesn't mean that we should not do it. Here's what Jesus says. Go your way. Now notice he has just told them that they should pray. Now he's telling them, go your way. Which means that as you're praying, he may very well send you. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now the imagery of lambs among wolves captures for us the difficulty of this mission. This mission of saving souls. Now, the last time that I checked, lambs were defenseless against wolves. Wolves love nothing than to have lambs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Indeed. Lambs are a picture of you and me, God's people. And we live in a world that is hostile to us and hostile to what we believe. And yet Jesus says, lambs must not withdraw from the world as difficult and as dangerous as it is. Lambs must seek to engage wolves with the very gospel that can transform them and change them. Telling them that the kingdom of God has come near and that Jesus is king may bring insults, rejection, and even physical harm because it is risky. Is risky. But the urgency of saving souls requires that we take the risk. Now, wasn't it Jesus who risked all to redeem us, as we sang about, and to save us, and to make sure that we are all seated in church this morning, hearing the gospel that builds us up? Jesus risked all of that for us. And now he turns to us and he says to us, look, look at the fields. The very fields that you came from, look out there and see that they are ripe and they're ready for harvest. And therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest and be open to going yourselves. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. The harvest is even more urgent now than it was then. It was urgent then. It is even more so now. I close with four challenges, three challenges to you this morning. The first one is this, avoid God's sickle. It's an old term that uh, refer refers to that 
um, instrument, that crooked instrument, the kind of curvy instrument that was used to um, reap or harvest things. It's a sickle. People don't use those much anymore, do you? I see Clinton laughing. I don't know. Clinton, you probably know what a sickle is, right? You, I don't, did you use it before? I'm sorry? You still have one in the barn. Oh, I should have had you bring it this morning so I could use it as an as a, um, illustration, all right? But here's a, here's, a, here's a serious point. Avoid God's sickle. Because as we will see from the book of Revelation, it's not going to be an easy thing to be caught in God's sickle. Because in the book of Revelation, it paint, paints a picture for us. And basically in this picture, there is one who is likened unto the Son of God. He's sitting on a cloud and he's calling out with a loud voice, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Revelations 14, 15 to 16. Of course here, this is referring to the final harvest. The final harvest. And the only problem with this picture is that it will be too late for those caught in God's sickle to have any chance to repent and be saved. The Bible says that they would be, they would be cast into the winepress of God's wrath. Now, whatever that is, that's not a pretty picture at all. Now is the only opportunity you have to be saved from the sickle of the wrath of God. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. I don't want to assume that every person here this morning is a believer. It would be nice if that were the case. I don't want to assume that. So I want to just say to you, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, I want to challenge you, and if you're listening online, I want to challenge you to avoid God's sickle. I want to encourage you to take advantage of God's grace. God's grace is available to save anybody. If he saved me, he can save you. Let's pray together. God, it is my prayer this morning that somebody will take advantage of God's grace, whether they're here, seated before me, or viewing online. And I pray that they would turn their heart over to Jesus, and allow you to become their Lord and Savior, the forgiver of their sins, the sanctifier of their soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you to pray earnestly for laborers. Pray earnestly for laborers. Now, I believe that this is still the great calling of the church. This is still the great calling of the church. Jesus' command could not be more precise. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in calling all of you who are God's sheep to do 
precisely this and no less. Pray earnestly. Get together with others who are praying to the Lord of the harvest and cry out to him and ask him to save souls, to bring numerical increase, to pour out his spirit upon the church, to lead us forward. This is still the great calling of the church. Thirdly and finally, I want to challenge you to enlist as a co-laborer. Enlist as a co-laborer. Now, if God is the one who sends out laborers into his harvest, and if we are the ones who must pray for him to do that, then he may very well send us as we're praying. And so I want to challenge you to be prepared for that possibility that God might be calling you and raising you up and softening your heart to send you. And when God asks, who shall I send and who will go for us, as he asked Isaiah, I want to challenge you to answer as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. Let us pray together. God, these are your words. You have assured us that your word never returns to you void, but it, accomplished, it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. God, I pray that you would work on my heart, work on our hearts, Allow us to see the ripened harvest fields. Allow us, Lord God, to have the urgency that is needed to win the lost for you. And God, we pray that we would have the great privilege and blessing of seeing fruit for our labors as you add to the church those who are being saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.